Welcome to the Denver Waldorf School Podcast. This is our place to connect as an intentional Waldorf community, to share the stories, wisdom, and artistry of our students, our educators, and all those who make this community come alive. This is our journey together. Welcome to the Denver Waldorf School Podcast. If you are just getting to know the Denver Waldorf School, we are founded on Rudolf Steiner's humanitarian curriculum. We educate in a way that fosters what it is to be human, cultivates lifelong curiosity, and inspires love for the world. You can learn more at denverwaldorf.org. Hi, I'm Vernon Dewey. I'm the education director at the Denver Waldorf School. And for today's episode, I had a chance to meet with Charlie Orfanides, who is a former class teacher and our current uh, movement and therapeutic support teacher to talk about the nine-year change, uh, a developmental stage in a child's life that is kind of at the heart of childhood and gives us a little bit of a picture into the developmental path of the child. Take a listen. Well, welcome, Charlie. Thanks for joining me uh, to speak about, uh, we have Charlie Orfanides here, um, to speak to us a little bit about the nine-year change. And Charlie, maybe first you can introduce just who you are um, and what you do here at the school. And yeah. Sure. <clears throat> I'm Charlie Orfanides. I have been a Waldorf teacher for a little over a decade now. And I've been a class teacher for many years. And I've taught movement and middle school math and Currently, I'm teaching movement to grades one through four and doing therapeutic movement uh, with children. I've also trained in various movement specialties and have been a student of human development for many, many years. Great. Well, welcome, Charlie. And um, I think this last piece that you say about a student of human development is so key to our topic today. Waldorf education is so centrally focused around human development. And today we're talking about the nine-year change, which is a phrase that if you are a parent at a Waldorf school now or a teacher, uh, is a phrase you may have encountered because um, it's referred to quite a bit, particularly in the grades um, by the teachers and talking with the parents. And so I guess, Charlie, I first want to just ask, uh, why is it that we talk so much about the nine-year change? What is happening there that's so important in the development of the child? That's great, Vernon. That is a great place to start. <clears throat> and we talk about this nine-year change because it is really, I, the way I think of it, it is really one of the first, I would go so far as to say, traumatic events for the child in their development post-birth, in which in their soul life, in their feeling life, in their development as individuals. And it is understood through the work, especially through the work of Rudolf Steiner and Anthroposophy, which our education is based on, that before this nine-year change, as we call it, happens, the child really experiences themselves as one with their surroundings, one with their family, one even with their class, one with their community. And they don't differentiate themselves 
in this in the way that we do as individuals as adults and so at this nine-year change comes an event which is not necessarily it doesn't happen over a day or at a moment but it is an event through around this time it can be a little before age nine it can be a little after age nine Steiner sometimes refers to it as a nine ten year change in which the child sees themselves as an individual really for the first time in a very dramatic way. We often find this very dramatic behavior by children around this age, third, fourth grade, often at our schools, where we have this certain behavior, which sometimes can be confusing and off-putting for caretakers, for family members, parents, even teachers. And I'd like to do a little quote from a book, and I'll do a little plug for a book I highly recommend to, to everyone working with children, parents, teachers, uh, it's called, I am different from you, how children experience themselves and the world in the middle of childhood by Peter Selb. Um, highly recommended, maybe we can put that somewhere on sure. our website. And he starts with a poem by a nine-year-old, written by a nine-year-old. Me, I'm myself. No one in this big world is like me. I am different from you and everyone else. I'm just plain old me. Me, I'm myself, no one's like me. And I'm not like anyone. I'm just myself, little old me. I'm not quite sure what makes me different. I suppose it's in my ways. No one's the same, especially me. And I think that cuts right to what's going on for these children at this age. It's like a grand realization for them that they are themselves and they are different from others. And we meet that in ways in the curriculum, through our studies in, in school, um, particularly through these studies of the Hebrew stories, what's known in the Christian tradition as the Old Testament or the work from the Torah and the Jewish tradition that the individual actually gets to have a relationship with God in these, in many of these stories where we have, especially I think of the story of Job, who actually has conversations with God, which seems unthinkable before this time. And so we bring the children's stories such as these to have where the individual is in a new relationship to not only to the world, but also to the spiritual world, we might say. Um, so at this point, I would often ask the people who I'm giving this talk to, to conjure up a memory from childhood. And so you can all do that out there as you're listening. If you just think, take a moment to think of any of the first memory that pops into your head from childhood. And I'd like to, if you could, you could pause the podcast right now and take a moment to do that and then restart it because I don't have time to <laughs> wait. But I would tell you that most likely that memory that will first pop into your head from childhood will be of around your um, nine and 10. It'll be from around between third and fourth grade. And I've done these talks all over the country to, at this point, hundreds of families and adults. And it works every single time that those memories that pop up are from around third and fourth grade. This is often the time that we see big changes in children's lives that aren't even within them, that we see often big moves in families. We see divorces in 
families, parents splitting up, perhaps uh, a death of a beloved family member. Many of these changes will often happen right around the third or fourth grade, right? Between these nine and 10 year changes. And I challenge you to kind of dig in and, and test that out. Even you can ask your family members or ask your friends about a memory they have, and you'll find that will ring true. So this is a time not only for the individual, but you can feel this working of what is happening around the child is a big change where the child is thrust out of early childhood into a new awareness, a new awakening, you might say. And the other part of that that I really always like to stress is this is a serious event and it, not all children will manifest it in the same way or show it in the same way. They all will experience it. And for nearly all of them, I do say it's a traumatic event that a child will go through at least a period of utter isolation and, and real loneliness. And they won't be able to verbalize it in that way as they will later when they're mopey teenagers in that loneliness. They won't be able to say it in that same way, but I, they will be experiencing that. And for me, that's very important that teachers and parents and those that are working with children can really have compassion and empathy when they see their child behaving in new ways and often challenging ways that they can think of them going through a very traumatic event where they feel a new type of aloneness that they have not yet experienced um, in their life on earth. So that's kind of a big thing that I like to emphasize. So I'm wondering, you spoke a little bit about the curriculum and the Hebrew stories. And um, I'm thinking, you know, as a parent, are there ways that, you know, how does the Waldorf curriculum meet this change, meet this traumatic event, this crisis for the child? And how might that provide a window into how parents might um, help their child? through this time? Good. So there's a few things I like to say. One, number one, of course, is just knowing that they're going through this event, why we do talks like this, why we talk about the nine-year change so much as, as teachers, as colleagues, and our relationship with one another. is So there's an awareness of that and that we can hold a little bit of this compassion and understanding in us as we're dealing with the children who are going through this. And then, like I said, we have the Hebrew stories. Another thing that we often do in the third grade is the house building, the home yeah. building, yeah. which is a picture for them to think of their building, the house of their body or their individuality. So they're able to kind of clothe themselves and protect themselves in um, an abode, if you will. And that's one thing. So you can give them opportunities for creating spaces for themselves at home building things like the, you'll find probably like pillow forts and those kind of things are big around this age and giving them chances to build little homes for them, places for them to feel safe. And another thing that, that we also talk about a lot at Waldorf schools, which becomes very important at this age is this idea of loving authority, guiding the children. And this is where that becomes um, okay especially important is around this nine-year change time. Um, and Ralph Steiner, if I may quote him from so, uh, a series of lectures called Soul Economy from 1922, with the end of the ninth year, however, children want to feel inner justification for authority. 
So now your authority, you have to earn it a little bit more. They still yearn for this authority and need this authority from you as a parent or we as educators in their lives. But there's something that we have to earn that in a relatively new way. And the way Steiner tells us, and that my experience, this plays true, is that you, we have to show to them that we are true representatives of the world into which they are entering. It becomes very important for the child. They want to know that you are a part of the world that they are coming into as individuals. They don't, they don't want abstractions. They don't want, because I said so, they want to know that you are actually a member of the world out there, that you know what's going on in the world that they're coming into, and that you are a representative of that world. And that is where your authority stems from, from your experience and your knowledge and your fluency, if you will, in the currency, in the language of the world that these children are now becoming awake to in a new way. Um, and that's something to really challenge ourselves to as adults, as educators. Am I a member of this world? Do I know what's going on in the world? And can I stand as the authority in front of these children or my child in that way that I know um, that I am a representative of this world and what I say can come from a deeper authority than just because I said so type thing. The other thing I think about with any, I often think of crisis and opportunity together, right? And so there's a reason for this place in their development, right? Um, it, it's not just sort of a uh, random, mindless, that's not quite the right word, but um, a, event without its own sort of reason or, um, so what, what is the opportunity for the child in when they're experiencing this crisis? Like why have it and what, what new um, gifts does this, this, does this actually bring to them? Sure. Well, they have new capacities as individuals, new capacities for thinking, but especially I would say new capacities for the feeling realm that they can actually feel things in an individual way that they couldn't, that they really didn't experience in that same way beforehand. And I, ultimately it's really them beginning their journey of carving out who they are as individuals, um, as, as a being that is separate from and yet a part of the world around them. So it's an incredible opportunity for them to start to find a definition and who they are and who they will be going forward. So it's, um, so I would say it's like a, uh, almost a bubble of opportunity for a great many things where there's almost like a vacuum created for them to step into and create themselves out of almost out of nothingness, you could say, but really create themselves anew in a way. Yeah. When I think about what you were talking about earlier about needing to see the adults in their lives as true representatives of the world and how in our curriculum we give them, you talked about shelter building, um, but um, our curriculum, we give them all kinds of opportunities to connect with how to live on the, in the world. And, and wondering around, you know, we, um, 
they focus on cooking and baking and gardening Garden. and farming um and live different livelihoods we often have yes. them learn about different livelihoods of especially of the adults in their own lives right and so then in that way thinking about um if the adults are the true representatives of the world you know can the child be almost um kind of in an apprentice kind of role almost. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but um, I, I find, I, I think that they become so much more capable, mm -hmm. right? They've always had the will to help, uh, but now they're developing some kind of new strength and thoughtfulness. Right, so that meaningful work that we've been giving them from early childhood, now right. they could actually perhaps nail that nail in yes. instead of bend it there you have to take it back out and put it in again anew those of us that um or they can actually sweep now whereas instead of you would always have to go sweep behind them after mm -hmm. secretly so a lot of that meaningful work they can actually accomplish now um and this is also in the curriculum where we start often strings yeah, yeah. Uh, cello and violin they start it's a picture of these new capacities yeah. not only in their bodies but also this new capacity for feeling where they're actually starting to be able to sense the feeling that's related to music, especially for these fretless stringed instruments. Yeah. Um, the other, along with this, one of the gifts that comes is a new critical eye. <laughs> so there's this, you know, Steiner talks about this, but it, as teachers, we've experienced it where all of a sudden they notice what you're wearing as a teacher, yeah. or they notice the stain on your tie or, Strophanese, you wore those pants yesterday. <laughs> oh, darn. Whereas in first grade, you could wear the same outfit every day and very few, maybe one or two might notice, but very few would notice or certainly say anything. But by third grade, they become much more critical. And the other thing this brings me to of these new capacities that they have is their capacity for being critical will also mean that, and I like to tell this to parents in second grade, in the beginning of third grade that they will come home and complain about their teacher yeah in third and fourth grade that will happen i promise it will happen and so when it does happen remember this talk and just check in with your teacher to see if what they're saying where it really lies in the validity stream um, and you can also trust that they will be complaining about the parents to their teachers when they come in um, so there, this new kind of criticalness that we have to take with a grain of salt, some of the things they say, both hear them out completely and compassionately, and make sure we check in with the, the truth of what they are complaining about. That's kind of like a warning I always give that they will come home and complain about yeah. things at school. Well, and that comes back to that poem you shared by that nine-year-old, which is the, the line that really gets me is that last one, especially me. Especially Right, where, of course, we logically know that, well, not especially you, because there's a lot of nine-year-olds in the world that are going through the same thing. Um, and yet for the child, that is true. Their, their feeling experience is especially me, right? And so um, this balance between validating that inner experience while as also holding in our own consciousness what they can't hold, which is beyond themselves. Right, it's these wonderful conundrums that I think Rudolf Steiner is so gifted at giving us these impossible tasks to both hold this loving authority as representatives of the world, 
while also holding a deep compassion for the traumatic event that these children are going through. It's, we have to try our best to hold both of those pictures within us, which is a, cha a great challenge. But my understanding and my experience, if we're striving toward that and we're carrying this understanding of the child and understanding of our role in their lives, as long as we're striving toward that, then it will work out as it, as it needs to and in a good way, um, just through our attention to that. Even it may seem we fail again and again in our <laughs> striving, but that striving alone and that awareness and attention to ourselves and to the children in that way will bear fruit in a positive way. Um, may I give one other little? So when I was saying about them becoming more critical, I, I read just a short quote from Rudolf Steiner, which uh, he even said, but after that, it would be wrong to think that children do not notice such things when he's talking about little idiosyncrasies in, in people's, in their surroundings. But after the ninth year, they become acutely aware of these things. One or two years later, by the 10th or 11th year, children are far less attentive to such matters. But at this particular age, such keen observations become wrapped up in an entire system of inner questions that burden their souls. So I, that's kind of a line that hit me really hard when I read it. And every time I read it, it hits me quite hard. And I think it's important. It drives home for me the feeling that I want us to carry in when we're dealing with these children that might be experiencing this, what we call the nine-year change, that they're wrapped up in an entire system of inner questions that burden their soul, that it, there is a true burden inwardly for them, that they're carrying these questions about the world as it is really a new experience unfolding for them. Um, so that's always hits me quite hard that. And it helps me deal with those frustrating moments in class or with, the, with children of this age. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, where it seemed maybe nonsensical or erratic. Well, one moment they want to be cuddling and snuggling and the next moment they're running around, bouncing off, literally bouncing off walls. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that speaks so much to how our own inner work and picturing and imagination of them um, I think we look for what are the outer fixes, but ultimately it's that inner peace that we hold as adults that makes the most difference. Yeah, that's a, I think that will be, I'm glad you said that because that's something I think we can carry through all of our children's development through all of these challenging ages. And uh, it doesn't get easier after the nine year change, you know, we have more changes to go through. Um, the 12 year change comes next and which is similarly a similar big change for them. And then, you know, we have adolescence coming and so there's more. So there's sometimes that inner life, this inner picturing, this monitoring our own feelings and our own thoughts uh, can be our most powerful ally in what we can do at home, which is a common question we get um, that can really be, and don't, you know, and to be able to trust in that inner picturing and that inner holding of compassion while outwardly still holding this role of authority, of loving, compassionate authority for the children. Well, thank you, Charlie. Yeah.